0: Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, your word is truth, and we thank you for that, that we can absolutely... Depend upon it because you are its author. And so it is your authority when we listen. Will you, by your Holy Spirit, illumine our hearts to understand this truth, to apply it to our our lives, to submit to it and in so doing submit to you And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I hope on New Year's Day you got your greens and your black eyed peas and your pork. That's two weeks in a row I've made you hungry right here in my sermon, some of you anyway. Why is there that tradition? You you know what it is, but, but let me remind you. Uh, it is for good luck uh, and uh, with the hopes that the things that are represented in that food would uh, become a part of our household, and so... The black-eyed peas apparently uh, represented lots of coins, and the greens represented green money. Uh, You you parents can explain to your children what non-plastic money looks like uh, later on. Show them a real dollar. And uh, and then the pork was uh, apparently because uh, it was the wealthy that uh, were able to eat that kind of food. So... Here, uh, that tradition that many of us just enjoy the meal and and don't think that that's going to do anything particularly uh, magic, but uh, w- the tradition uh, comes out of a desire by many to have more of all of that this year than I had last year. So we are, uh, after Advent and after looking at our, our verse of the year, we are jumping back into the book of Proverbs. And uh, we'll be in that for uh, a few more weeks uh, into February, uh, looking at some different subjects. And if you're visiting with us, I'll just tell you, this is, uh, this is a little bit different than a uh, typical uh, series that we do. Usually we start at the beginning of a book, and we go straight through the book uh, because we believe that that's the best way to uh, study God's word, that it, uh, it, it's kind of a gentle discipline, sometimes not so gentle when you're the one that has to preach the sermon, but it, it, it causes us to basically face every subject that God wanted us to face, and we trust that it's in his timing. There have been times when uh, I've been preaching through a book and something had happened in the church or in the world uh, and uh, I got to a passage and I thought, oh boy. Oh my, because it, 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 it applied so pointedly that if I wasn't preaching straight through the book and, and someone heard me preach that sermon, they would think it was directed directly at them. But because they know that we do it systematically, they understand that. By the way, I'll often hear at the door, somebody will say, uh, were you aiming that sermon at me? And just so you know, my answer is always yes, of course, <laughs> because I was, I was aiming it at myself as well. So as we get back into Proverbs, let me just tell you, as we look at the, the, uh, what it has to say about wealth, um, and notice the title I use, how to view wealth or lack thereof. I was concerned that if I just said how to view wealth, that some of you would go, oh, well, good, that one's not for me because I don't have to. Well, that's not the way uh, Proverbs looks at it. It, 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 it. it will apply to all of us, but, but here's my goal. Um, if you are what our world would consider to be wealthy, and by the way, all of us in terms of in the big picture of the world, we would all be in that category. I understand that, that many of you don't feel like you are and so on, but by the standards of the world, we would all be in that. But, but if you are in that category and you have a, a right perspective on that wealth, I want you not to be ashamed of that. To have a right view of it and a correct use of it as well. If you're not wealthy in terms of money in our society as a believer, I want you to come away uh, remembering what real wealth is. And that's really what I want for both of us whether you are in the category of having uh, a a lot of wealth or you are not, I I want us to to leave here understanding what the scripture indicates is real, real wealth. And it goes way beyond money and finances. So we are going to be in the book of Proverbs. I'm going to hit a number of verses. uh, So I would encourage you to turn to that that book. And uh, first of all, in Proverbs 10, I want us to see. And remember, Proverbs is contrasting the wise and the foolish. And that's how we're going to approach it today. The first thing I want us to understand is that wealth to the foolish man brings danger. Now, Some of you are going to be thinking, that sounds a little strong. Wealth to the foolish man brings danger. I mean, really? Is it it danger? Well, I'm going to delineate what some of those dangers are according to Proverbs. But in Proverbs 10, verse 16, it says, The wage of the righteous leads to life. The gain of the wicked to sin. Sin. The gain of the wicked to sin. Now that's a warning over and against the previous verse, and as as we remember in in Hebrew uh, poetry, there is often a parallelism where one verse will say something, the next next verse might say the same. Thing, but just in different words, or sometimes one verse says one thing and the other gives the contrasting view of uh, the same subject. Well, this warning about uh, the gain of the wicked is to sin uh, is set against the previous verse, Proverbs 10:15, that says a rich man's wealth is his strong city, the poverty of the poor is their ruin, Now, here's what I mean by those being set against each other. Uh, After reading verse 15 where it says a a rich man's wealth is his strong city, uh, one might get the impression, oh, well, then then that's what I need to be pursuing. That's the main thing I need to uh, pursue, wealth first and foremost. After all, it could be my strong city. But very quickly, the writer qualifies Uh, what he's saying there, that the wicked man that seeks wealth for security, the one that seeks it that way, it'll bring punishment. So why is there uh, danger or punishment involved with uh, the income of the foolish? Here's why. Let me give you some reasons. Uh, uh, Turn to Proverbs 11, verse 4. Here's one reason that it's a, it's a problem and it brings danger is because wealth is worthless when it really counts. It's worthless to it when it really counts. Uh, Proverbs 11:4. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. So the day of wrath is referring to the day of judgment when our lives are brought to account. And in that day, what what he's saying is that, that riches won't matter. And that's going to be a real shock for some. Because there are some who go through their life buying their way out of difficulty, and trouble, and some of those may be the very ones that are uh, in that day will think, well, what about my great wealth? It has taken me through my entire life and I've never had to deal with what a lot of people deal with because of that wealth. On that day of accountability, Riches will mean nothing. I remember early in my ministry in uh, a previous church, this one was in Pennsylvania, our session uh, was concerned about some uh, uh members who had been on the rolls and uh, they hadn't attended in a in a long time and uh so uh the session decided to send a letter to uh members and uh you know they they said pastor we'd like you to write that letter yeah okay thanks uh I'll I'll do that and so I wrote the letter and it was as straightforward but also as gentle as as I could possibly uh, make it. I was uh, encouraging them, letting them know that that we wanted them to come, and then also reminding them of the vows that they had taken uh, about being faithful to the church and that kind of thing. And, you know, left it at at the end with, uh, you know, from my perspective, a a warm uh, invitation. I hope, hope we'll see you. Uh, this week that that kind of a thing, and uh, i I really don 't remember I think maybe a few came back uh, uh, it was a, a a smaller town, and I heard that uh, somebody downtown was accusing us of being a cult because we wanted people to come to church and so on uh, but 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 one of the things that happened was that uh, our, our treasurer, now I know, I've never known what anybody gives and, uh, and, uh, in, term, in any church that I've served. I have deliberately have not. But our treasurer said, you know what, since that letter, we've gotten several checks from people. People that had not attended in a long time, nor had they given anything in a long time. And it broke my heart. It was so sad to me because, uh, and, and they, they didn't attend. They just sent their checks. And it was sad to me for a couple of reasons. One is that they thought it, that it was their money that we cared about. And that, that really, that really was not it. But the second thing was how sad it was to me that they felt as though they could buy their way into the good graces of the church and by extension, I think, of the Lord. That's what's being warned against here. You know, when it comes down to it, when we are accountable Before God, our riches aren't going to mean a thing. And the scripture is abundantly clear. Another way wealth to the foolish man brings danger is uh, that there will be a fall. Uh, Chapter 11 still in verse uh, 28. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall. But the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. For some, it is is literally if you trust your riches, uh, you're, you're trusting in the wrong thing. You're trusting in something that's changeable, something that is unstable, something that will eventually fail you. Proverbs 23, verse 4 says, Do not toil to acquire wealth. 23 4. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it's gone, for suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. (laughs) Isn't that a great picture? You know, you, you think you got money, and suddenly it's growing wings and it flies away. It's a great word picture but I think we all know how that feels, don't we? It seems like that's what happens. Every time you think you've got it domesticated, it grows wings and off it goes. So uh, the scripture is, is clear on this. One of the problems with riches is that it encourages people to trust in them. What do people talk about when they're talking about uh, their own security? Usually it's financial. So, okay, it's that time of year. You can barely turn on uh, the radio or or certainly the TV without seeing the advertisement for Publishers Clearing House. I know you've already bought Tupperware you didn't want and, and, and so on uh, because they are promising $5,000 a week for life. And then this year they've added and you can designate somebody else for $5,000, uh, uh, the same kind of thing. Now here's the question. And I don't want to know who's actually doing all this. But have you ever caught yourself daydreaming about that? Hmm. What would it be like with $5,000 a week for life? What would I do with that? If only, if only I had that then I'd feel secure. My money would last as long as I do. I think that's why they put in the for life, right? Have you ever caught yourself daydreaming about that? By the way, if anyone wins, remember you need to tithe on that uh, 5000 <laughs> I, st- I still don't know with that letter why they think that's all we are concerned about uh, in, in churches. Uh, so, um, it's a false hope. Uh, you're, you're not going to win. Somebody will. But that's the problem, you see. They, they get people, watch what they say in the advertisement. They get people thinking how great it would be, and, and the the whole idea of all my troubles would be over. I'd like to suggest your troubles would just be beginning if that happened, but it's a false hope, and there is no security in it. Further wealth to the foolish man brings danger in. In this form, uh, look over in Proverbs 15. Proverbs 15. Down in verse 27. It says, whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household. It's saying it's trouble for those around you. This unjust gain, greedy for unjust gain. In other words, one with a wrong attitude about his wealth. One who is foolish brings trouble to his own family. Now, how is that? Well, let me give you some examples. Uh, Someone who's always involved in gaining things, typically if that's their whole goal, typically doesn't establish relationships. One can be frustrated when wealth doesn't come. It doesn't say when you're wealthy. It says, uh, it says greedy, and that's an attitude. And if, if wealth does come, it isn't enough. John D. Rockefeller was asked, how, how much money does it take to satisfy? His answer, as a wealthy man, was just a little bit more than he has. See that? It's, you never get there. You never get to that satisfaction. Money is powerless to satisfy. And those who... who Uh, spend their whole life trying to attain it or wasting it. One stockbroker said, I've I've made a lousy father and a lousy husband, but when Merrill Lynch needs me, I'm here. Do you see that kind of an attitude? So let's look at Solomon's contrast then. That's the the foolish man. There's, There's other passages in... Uh, in Proverbs, but what what about the wise man and his wealth? Wealth to the wise man is actually a blessing. Proverbs fourteen. Let's look at Proverbs fourteen. Verse 24 says, the crown of the wise is their wealth. Now, I've got to start out here and take a moment and just give you a disclaimer. Because there are those, especially on certain channels on the TV, that preach what we would sometimes call the prosperity gospel. That's the, the newer term it, at one point was called the health and wealth gospel. God wants you uh, wealthy and He wants you healthy. Before that, they've, some called it the name it, claim it. You name it and have faith, and then you can claim it, it's yours. And then the cynical one was the, the blab it, grab it, blab it, grab it. Uh, and, uh, but that's the same idea as the name it, the name it, claim it." And some would take a, a passage like this, "The crown of the wise is, is their wealth. And they would say, "You see, here in the scripture? God wants you." To be wealthy. He wouldn't have said this if, if he didn't mean it. But sadly, those who, those who preach that are obscuring the gospel. And it's no gospel at all. They would say, Jesus wants you to be uh, healthy. Healthy. And wealthy. And if you will only claim it, then you will be. And if you are not healthy and wealthy, then that means you have a faith problem. And sadly, we have exported that gospel to other parts of the world. We have preachers that are, are getting on their private planes and, and going to uh, parts of Africa or uh, the Philippines or other, uh, South America, and they're filling up stadiums with people who hear this and have, have seen glimpses of their crowds on TV, and they come with the hope of, of health and wealth. And then those preachers get back on their planes, and the only ones that got wealthy are them. John Piper tells uh, uh, gives some ways that that you can tell if this person is into the prosperity gospel, and there's all kinds of ways. Uh, It doesn't take a whole lot of discernment. But he says, here's things you look for, and, and I'll just list them. He says there's no robust doctrine of suffering. In other words, you won't hear them talk about suffering in their messages. Or if they do, it's just a trick of Satan. Secondly, there's no clear call to deny yourself. You see, that's the very thing Jesus said that we are to do take up our cross and deny ourselves but you won't hear that from the prosperity gospel. There is no serious exposition of the Scripture. You will not see them go straight through books of the Bible. There is no wrestling with tensions. In other words, the the difficult things. How do we deal with trials in this life? Um, Fifthly, you will see exorbitant lifestyles, and you will see, sixthly, too much of self when they preach and teach. Now, I could name names, and I'm happy to do that privately, as your shepherd, but we must be cautious of this, because it's dangerous. Piper, again, said this, it is a tragic thing that our greatest exports of America One of our greatest exports of America is the prosperity gospel. People are being destroyed by it. Christians are being weakened by it. God is being dishonored by it, and souls are perishing because of it, and a lot of guys are getting rich on it. Now, that's why I give you this disclaimer, because none of these passages support that kind of gospel. They will use it to their benefit But this is not a prosperity gospel that we see here in Proverbs and it certainly isn't that we see in the Apostle Paul or from Jesus himself. The balance is that that wealth is not promised as as a byproduct of coming to Christ. But when God chooses to provide it, when God chooses to bless you in a, a financial way, when it is viewed biblically, it should be seen as a blessing from God and enjoyed and used to further his kingdom. That's the beauty of it. So, how is it a blessing? Let me give you several things. Uh, in, In Proverbs 15, Proverbs 15, we see that Wealth wisely viewed is a treasure. Verse six, in the house of the righteous there is much tr- treasure, but trouble befalls the income of the wicked. Literally, the house is, uh, is a great treasure, that's what it's saying, or, or chamber. Um, I, don't, I don't think the, the treasure here has to refer to monetary riches, although it may, but what it does definitely refer to is something of great worth. In other words, in the house of the righteous, contains something of great value. And we're going to see what that is in just a moment. And then another blessing in Proverbs 28. Turn back to Proverbs 28. Verse 20 says there are rewards of faithfulness. It says a faithful man will abound with blessings, but whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. So a faithful man or woman, uh, it's talking about integrity of walk and conduct, one who's ceaseless in that. And the verse is teaching us that, that it isn't the possession of wealth or even the acquisition of it that's evil, but it is the, the eager drive for it, the covetousness that so often uh, is what drives us toward wanting wealth, wanting someone else's wealth or wanting wealth that we see out there. Uh, long ago, I took a, a Christian magazine called The Other Side, and um, I, I think it's good to read things that you, you're not necessarily going to uh, agree with, and they weren't coming uh toward things with uh my exact perspective in terms of uh view of scripture and so on. Uh but but what I, I liked about them was their their concern for justice in the poor. But the unfortunate thing is that in in that magazine, article after article uh were uh uh, making efforts to produce guilt in those who had wealth. And that's wrong. That's just not scriptural. Here's the problem to do that, you've got to ignore the scripture that never says, don't have wealth, but rather says, In our wealth, whatever that is, if it's a lot or a little, we have to have the right perspective on it. And God says, My child, I'm going to give you the right perspective. Let me read to you from Proverbs 3. In verse 9, it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth. Where'd it come from? It came from Him. So, what do we do with it? What's the right perspective? Proverbs 3, 9, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. So, so God gives us the wealth. What are we to do with it? Well, we say, hey, you gave it to me. Let me honor you with it. So how is the believer's wealth a good thing? By way of application, I just want to read to you several verses because what we see is the believers possess true wealth which far exceeds the unbeliever. So here we are, the one who who, uh, is a follower of what God says and then for us to understand that it means a follower of Christ. And I'll just read these verses to you in Proverbs 8. Verse 10 says, take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels. You get it? That's what the whole book's about is wisdom. And all that you may desire cannot compare with her. It's saying you get the wisdom from God, from his word, and that's better than any wealth this world can ever give you. Proverbs 16, 16, how much better to get wisdom than gold, to get understanding, is to be chosen rather than silver. Proverbs 22, verse 1, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. And Proverbs 24, verse 3, by wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. So I want us to deal with one question before we close. And that is, so given all the potential pitfalls, all these negative things, all the, that, that there will be a fall, that the, it can lead to sin, that it can cause us to have wrong attitudes and so on, why would God <coughs> use that to forward his kingdom. Why didn't he just provide? Why did he want us to deal with money? <clears throat> Wouldn't it have been better for him to, when we come to Christ, to just pluck us out of that so we don't even have to deal with that at all? Why do the, the Gideons need funds Couldn't God have provided in another way? Well, the answer is, of course he could have. But he chose to use money and finances to advance his kingdom. And I'm convinced that that's because almost more than any other indicator, our view of wealth And money clarifies where we are before the Lord. Almost more than any other indicator. And that's why Jesus said, we heard it read in our scripture reading, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's an indicator. It shows what's really important is it that money, or is it the one who gave us that in order to honor him? I want to leave you with, with uh, uh, Proverbs that I believe give the right balance, and you can even use this as a prayer. It, it sounds in the form of a prayer. In Proverbs 30, verse 8. It says, remove far from me falsehood and lying. And here's the prayer. Give me neither poverty nor riches. That's unusual, isn't it? Don't, I don't want poverty. I'm not even asking for riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Lest I be full and deny you Or say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. You see the balance there? What it's saying is, Lord, will you give me enough? And what you determine is enough will be enough for me. If only I have Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, whatever you've given us is what you want us to have. It's what you believe we can handle. Will you help us to do that? But help us, Lord, to honor you with whatever that is. But to know that ultimately, Our true wealth is is wisdom, which is Christ. And ultimately, we will have everything he has. Thank you for calling us into your family. In Jesus' name, amen.